Well, hello, everyone. I'm Rave Sinclair. And I'm Denise Bowles. And we're here to doula that with you. Doula that with you. Yeah. Oh, so welcome. Welcome to our next episode. Um, uh, so our first, our check-in question, my question for you, Denise, is what are you reading nowadays? Oh, well, I'm reading some stuff here uh, pertaining to my doctorate degree. Oh, okay. (laughs) That's where I am with that. But I did find two really cool books in in my search, in my scholarly search. And one of them is I found the spark notes for the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks. So this is um, a breakdown of the book with glossary terms, analysis, um, study questions. And I'm just like, this is really great the way they broke this down and just talking about all the history and stuff. So I got a copy for you, of course. And I also got um, recovering black storytelling in qualitative research. So I'm fascinated with that because I come from a family of Southerners and my grandmother was an excellent storyteller, excellent storyteller. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so much is lost when we, when we don't have our elders to tell us the stories. So that has captivated me for sure. I love it. Okay. So we'll do a link to both books. Sure. um, So that people can take advantage. I love that you're deep, deep, you know, we've mentioned it before in your doctorate program. So I know you're going to keep it scholarly. Uh, (laughs) Me, me, not so much. Um, I am reading, um, I just finished reading Worthy by Jada Pinkett Smith, her memoir. Okay. And, um, you know, I was, I was one of the people who were like, let me understand what is going on with Miss Jada. And um, I actually thought it was, I really liked the book, right? I mean, I think she's she's an actress. Um, she's a character. She's played characters that I've always enjoyed. Um, Set It Off was my favorite. Um, oh, yeah. That she's done. I love that role that she yeah. played. And I feel like um, I, after reading, the, I would say this. She talked a lot about her early life, growing up in Baltimore, being the child of two drug addicted parents. And that is something really, that's a specific life experience. And in her very early twenties, she basically had like a breakdown. Like she had PTSD. And um, so while we're like, this is before she met Will or like, you know, got to started dating him. She was already in a breakdown state as a black woman. Mm-hmm. from all of, I mean, she was a, she had been a drug dealer. She had been held in gunpoint before. I mean, she had lived a whole life surviving the hood. Mm-hmm. And I, I appreciated that she told her story. Um, and I also felt sad, like, damn, we didn't been through so much, um, black women surviving. And so before she got to Hollywood, before all the multi-millions and being married to the, you know, the movie star, she had lived a life and survived a bunch of things that got her to, um, you know, to where she is today. Of course, I wanted to hear more about the slap um, the, and the entanglements. And, you know, like those were probably the thinnest sections of the whole book. Um, 
not surprisingly, but I, I did like the way that at the end of each chapter, she did some reflection piece spaces. She created a space to be thoughtful about like, how does XYZ show up in your life and how have you, you know, transformed and whatnot. Um, it was a good book. She lost me in the very last chapter because she got so woo woo with it. I was like, girl, this was not the way to end it, but um, <laughs> I actually did like it. Um, and it made me um, understand just another black woman. I don't think I had an opinion about Jada in a negative way, the way I, a lot of people seem to, um, mm -hmm. but um, it was, it was entertaining, which is part of what it is. But I just, I was really reading it as like the resilience of another black woman. So mm -hmm. I thought it was very good. I'm in my memoir phase. So I'm going to be reading like Carrie Washington's memoir, Sheila Johnson's memoir. Um, just I'm, I'm in the memoir phase, Nicole Walters, her memoir. So she, Jada was just one of the many. So, so yeah. yeah. Yep. So that's me. Um, all right. Let's talk about doula skills. <laughs> um, um, yeah. 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 I'll, do you want me to go first? You want to go? Yeah, you can go. Yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna lead with a business tip. So for those of you who are seasoned doulas, this may be past you, so you can just skip to D Denise's to the next <laughs> to the next segment. Look at the show notes and get that. But um, for those of you all who are new, um, there I do feel like uh, there are questions on social media posts. People really seem to be seeking ways to find clients or to be found to be seen. And so I thought it was worthy to just highlight some of the basics here. And it, so in case you didn't catch it, because doula trainings are so different. Some trainings actually talk about business and go in depth and some don't. So I thought, let's just do a level set, talk about how to attract clients um, and in, in tangible ways. And I'm, I'm going to just assume that we all understand just your energy can attract clients, your mindset you know, you affirming yourself as a birth worker every day and your identity, you can attract clients just by going to the grocery store. So that's one way. But in the more practical, like what can you do um, uh, tangible? The first thing I would say is sign up for directories. There are a good number of birth worker um, and doula specific directories that are free or low cost where parents might know about and go and just do a search, geographic search um, for doulas, for birth workers. So one of them is doulamatch.net. I've heard lots of mixed reviews. Whenever you go on social media, some people are like, I love it. I'm one of those people. Um, but then you have other people like, I've never gotten a referral from them. So I think it works well in some areas versus others. Um, and Denise, you can jump in on in, at any point mm -hmm. around directories. Um, Dove. So Dove has a Black birth worker directory. They launched that in um, conjunction with Sister Midwife Productions. And so Dove has their um, directory. I believe it's free. Um, so yes, it is free. Okay. Now, toggling back, doulamatch.net is a small contribution, but if you are BIPOC or Indigenous, you can, um, you if you click that on your profile, when you're making your profile, it discounts your um, your membership or your annual fee by 15 or 10 or $15. And that that is due to uh, Denise's advocacy around the pandemic, right? Yeah, yeah. I had an opportunity to speak with Kim James. Her and her husband, Pat, own uh, doulamatch.net. 
And, you know, at the point in time, you know, there's always been a hunt to find a black birth worker. And sometimes you cannot de detect if Denise Bowles is white or black, not by my name. <laughs> so, you know, and if you don't have a picture, some people have a logo up on their, on their uh, photo instead of their face. So I went to her and I said, hey, is there any way that we can put a flag on my profile to say that I'm a black birth worker? And she said to me, I can't do it right now, but give me, give me several weeks and I'll, I'll be, I'll be back. And sure enough, she developed it on her webpage. She coded it and was able to put it in. And so now on, on Doula Match, you can highlight if you are indigenous, Hispanic, or black. And I think that's amazing because that is really helping families find people who are culturally sensitive and culturally in the know to really support them to have the most personal birth that they can have. So I was really, really pleased that Kim was receptive to my suggestion. Yeah, and I think it's making a big difference. So thank you for your advocacy skills. Um, you just, you reached out, you sent an email and made a phone call. And um, sometimes if you want, listen, be the change you want to see. <laughs> be the change you want to see. <laughs> so that's what that's what you did. So thank you for that. So there's doulamatch.net with a discounted contribution, um, annual contribution, if you can, if you identify one of these underserved populations. But <clears throat> there's so Dove has a directory. Um, Sister Midwife still has their own separate directory, um, which that particular, it's interesting because I'm on that directory and I get a lot of hits for people looking for midwives. So yes, same here, same here. And I think it's because her title is Sister Midwives. So people are thinking that all of us are midwives. Yeah, even though it says I'm a doula. So right. I think, right. you know, we still have some education to do, but I do get I do get some leads from, from that directory. So yeah. that's another resource. Um, I also think that depending on who you train with, there might be a directory within um, the training organization. And right. I think the member directory within a private training organization can be twofold. It could be a public facing directory where people can search and find you, but it also might just be an internal directory where you just know the other members. Well, if that's if it's an internal directory, I encourage you to reach out to fellow doulas. Um, and let them know who you are, where you are, like link to them, let them like encourage them to follow you. Other, you know, other birth workers will refer you. Um, so this is where the networking, getting to know your fellow birth workers can be really, really valuable. You never know if somebody needs a backup doula. You never know if somebody is like, my business is growing so much. I have overflow and I need to refer out. And oh yeah, I met this really nice doula who says she's looking to grow her business. Let me reach out to her maybe, or to them. Let me reach out to them and see if they, you know, could use some extra business. So I think when you have those member directories, even if they're not outward facing to consumers, use them, reach out to people and get to know them. It could really, really grow your business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. So another resource might be like a member services platform. So you'll have to help me, Denise, with these. So one I just mentioned to you before we started recording was, which was Born Beer. Yeah. Okay, so um, Born Beer is, um, they have like people who reach out, set up a, like families looking for doulas or, you know, different kinds of practitioners and they'll do a profile. So Born Beer has the, these families in the directory. And what they advertise is that you can set up, you as a birth worker, 
can mm -hmm. set up your profile at no cost and it's free. Right. right. But when you want to actually be able to access that lead, you can see the ad, but you can't get the contact info from the family, apparently, unless you are subscribed um, at a monthly fee. I feel like it was low, like $5 a month, but um, you have to actually be subscribed to their service to be able to actually contact these families. Mm -hmm. So I saw that and it kept saying free, free, free. And then I, when I dug, I was like, oh, it's not actually free. It's not super expensive, but it's not actually free. It's not. It's misleading on that on that note. And it's also, you know, kind of of a situation where it's not providing access because you have to go through these hoops in order to get in there. So that is something that I don't appreciate. Okay. Because I'm all about access. I get it. I get it. Um, another service kind of similar is Hello Mila. Yes. Yeah. So where parents can go and do these profiles and do a search for practitioners. And if you have a profile, um, on there, you can respond and, you know, get in touch with families and get leads that way. I feel like there was one other that I wanted to mention, but there's you all, two. there's two, um, there's another one called Poppy Seed. Yes. And Poppy Seed um, actually is where you can actually have a text communication with a birth worker professional. And, um, you know, that's that was really thriving in the pandemic, of course. Now, you know, they're still here. Um, she's still growing. She's still doing a lot of things. So Poppy Seed is another one where you can get a hold of a birth worker professional. And also there's another black, one. Wait, isn't Poppy Seed Black-owned? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm, okay. Yes, Poppy Seed is Black-owned. And there's another one that is not black owned and that is called Boober. And Boober does help you uh, find a birth worker, but they also have an emphasis of course on breastfeeding and lactation. Mm -hmm. So that's another uh, national directory that's helpful. Also too, um, if you're going, you know, looking through an organization, then of course the National Black Doulas Association has a huge directory of birth workers um, that you can look for by state as many of these other organizations do have their directories available, as Ravay said earlier, if they're front-facing where the public has access to the actual members and um, their demographics. Right, but the National Black Dual Association, you can only be on their list if you train with them, right? That is correct. Yeah, okay. So it's like these other private orgs. That it's not right. like you can just sign up. Okay. No, no, you have to be a member. You have to be uh, trained and, you know, and you have to, I, I, my understanding is I think you may even have to pay an annual fee to stay in the directory as well. Yeah, okay. All right. And so that, okay. So we've covered directories and member services. You also can get leads by identifying providers who have a list that they sort of send out to their to their clients. When people are looking for doulas or midwives or any other kind of practitioners, a lot of times um, providers have had good experiences with um, doulas or birth workers, and they'll say, "Let's we want to keep working with you, and we'll we'll put you on the list." So that list goes out to the patients, the doctor's patients, or the provider's patients. And um, they go down the list because they're like, well, if my provider who I trust, um, ha you know, if they like this person, then I think I'll probably like this person too. And so you, if you have a provider who you like working with, I know you do this, um, Denise, 
But if you have a provider who you like working with, good working style, great relationship, then get more of it. Go <laughs> just be bold. If they don't have a provide preferred provider list that you can be added to, then just make a deal with them. Make an arrangement where they send clients to you and you can send clients to them. Um, it can be a really beautiful way to build both practices. Yeah. And you know, to even, you know, when you're at that birth. And that birth was absolutely fantastic, of course, um, because you did all this great hard work, even if it was a long, arduous birth. Um, always have your business card handy to give to that OB or midwife. And before you know it, you're going to be getting calls from clients do asking for consultations. And when you ask them, who is the provider, they're going to say, oh, well, Dr. So-and-so sent me to you. Mm -hmm. And what you then would do is if you've seen that there's a pattern where you're getting some really nice referrals, even if they don't sign with you, just the fact that you got the referrals, make sure you send a thank you note or a thank you email. And for the holiday, you might want to send a little thank you gift, something small, $10, drop it off at the front desk with your name and business card on it. It goes a long way. It, it absolutely does. And I think do not discount uh, the folks who sit at the front desk. Exactly. <laughs> they get a lot of questions. They see a lot. They may not say a lot, but they see a lot and they hear a lot. And um, so you want to include them in letting them know, you know, introductions and, you know, building rapport and connection because they're giving out names. They're probably the ones actually handing out the folders with the preferred providers on the list. So um, yeah, so build a relationship with a provider who you feel has complementary practice and beliefs and ideas about birthing or postpartum and yeah, get to know the folks in your community for sure. Get on the yes. list. Mm -hmm. um, so those are my main tips. I think, like I said, for senior season doulas, this is just a refresher. You already know this. You may already be doing this, but I wanted to just do take a little bit of space to identify that some folks are struggling with getting clients, being seen, being heard. And I think that getting yourself out there, you might have to do a $5 a month subscription to something like Born Beer. I'm not endorsing them. So we, they're not a, a sponsor of our podcast. So I'm not endorsing them, but I'm saying you may have to put out a little bit of money to make some money, right? And it might try it. And I think some of us are going off of hearing people's opinions about a thing, but you should try it for yourself. Like I said, people, I see people all the time say, oh, doula match doesn't work for me. I never got one referral. I built a six figure business in Washington, DC because of my doula match profile. Okay. Exactly. So you can't yeah. tell me, you can't tell me nothing about doula match.net. Okay. Because I had my own experience and I worked it to, exactly. I optimize how you can use doula match. I could exactly. do a whole episode on how you can optimize Doula Match, but I won't. You know, you'll have to buy my birth worker business booster class to get those tips. Oh, there you go. Cha-ching, 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 baby. Okay. I do, do want to throw in here to support what Reve is saying is that sometimes you don't even have to spend money. You just have to backtrack on what you have in existence already. And one thing I said to a group of doulas last night on one of my trainings, the footer of your email should always have your complete demographics on how to reach you your name, your title, your degrees, your brand, your slogan with your brand, um, your website, your phone number, your footer of your emails that you send out to people should always have a complete demographic explaining how to reach you. Because at three o'clock in the morning, if I know that you are this amazing doula who speaks five different languages and I have a, month, a multilingual family looking for a doula, 
I can give them your contact information from the footer of your email. Yeah. And, you know, I get, I get, I get hits all the time. You know, uh, companies are looking for doulas to, to sit on focus groups, to take pictures, photo apps, photo shoots, all kinds of things. But if I have no way of, of giving them a contact information to reach you other than your email, and you may not check your emails regularly, but you may have a voicemail or you may have something else that can get to you even faster on your footer. If you have all that information identified properly, you will definitely get hits a lot faster. Yeah, I think that's a great tip. And I mean, an inherent in that is just having your contact info together, right? Yeah. So- Having a business phone number, maybe you're just doing a Google voice number, it's free and it rings to your cell phone. It rings differently, right? So having a separate business phone number might be it. Making sure your email account is like totally focused on business or it's branded with your business name. Like let's let's remember, we got to look like and feel like we're in business for people to take us seriously. Make sure our social media handles are updated and that we're handling business only on those business platforms. Um, some of y'all letting it all hang out and it's contradictory to your business image. So when if you have all that information in your footer of your email, um, it does make it easy for us to do referrals because you're like, we're busy. This isn't my zone, but I do know a doula who can help you. There you go. Don't embarrass me when I refer you, honey. <laughs> Okay. Like, don't make me, don't put me out here crazy because I didn't give in, given them your business Instagram and your business uh, Facebook or whatever. And you're on here talking about, um, you know, I, I, I had to make a clap last night. Okay. Like, let's not do that. Right. <laughs> so don't have me out here looking crazy. Y'all. I'm just, I'm just saying, I want to refer you. I know that's right. On the business platform, let's have it together. On a private platform, you can do whatever. But like on a business platform, can we can we have it together, please? Exactly. And when you're making that referral, please give the information in its entirety. Don't just say, oh, yeah, I have a friend of mine. She's pregnant. She's looking for a doula. I'm going to refer her to you. Wait, 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 wait. Where is she located? Where's the (laughs) hospital? What's the doctor? What's her due date? Can you get some information? So that way I might not be available and therefore I'm not going to take up your precious time or my time for that matter. No. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so the bottom line, when you're thinking about like, how do I get out there? How do I get my name out there? How can I get seen? How can I have families find me? Um, One, find a platform that might work for you, vet it, make sure it fits your budget. Try it for yourself though. Like don't, like results may vary. So don't knock it till you try it. It might be the sweet spot for you. Hello Mila might be the perfect thing for you wherever you live, but Doula Match might not work. So sometimes we do have to try a couple of things and stick with it. And I would say a reasonable time frame might be three months, three or four months of like sticking with a service because it might take that long. Like if you're trying to get clients right now, well, guess what? Clients right now who are hiring, I feel like are um, due in April. April, March, April and May folk are looking for doing and so you gotta, you know, it's gonna be a little bit delayed for you to actually get the pickup, but give it some time. I also think that um, some of us, we're, I know we've been inside for a long time, but we're outside now, y'all. So come outside and network. I'm seeing a little bit more birth worker, like retreats, brunches, like connecting opportunities. Please leave your house. Please get dressed. Please leave your house and network. Network, 
or get on the Zoom calls. Some people are still doing some networking, but get on the Zoom calls and network, get to know other doulas or other birth workers or midwives or providers. Anybody who's seen a birthing person can help you build your business, but they got to know who you are. They got to trust who you are. They got to be able to rely on your reputation and, and they got to see you frequently. It's like, you have to be the walking commercial for yourself. What is it they say that um, people buy from you after they've been presented with the opportunity, with the proposal seven to eight times. So be the commercial, keep showing up to those networking events, to those meet the doula events to seven or eight times and might start clicking. So give it a little bit of time. I also think um, one other tip is to collaborate. Think about collaborating with an organization. It could be with an agency or another doula that is popping, collaborate. Think about doing sponsoring an event or um, vending together at a table. Look at people as uh, collaborators and not necessarily competition. So find or find someone who does complimentary work that complements your work, I should say, and go and get out in the world together. That's kind of fun to have a buddy um, to, to be able to walk this road who's also trying to build their small business. So think about collaborating. And also, absolutely. oh, go ahead. No, absolutely. Yeah. And then the last tip I would say is think about doing affiliate work. Um, refer people. Like when you see somebody really doing it well, while you're growing, you can help them grow. So affiliate work, that's a, a um, I see more of those models where people are promoting other people. And then if that leads to a sale, you get, um, you get a kickback, like you get a payment. Um, and so so think about that as a model in your business to be able to connect it, to, you, like connect yourself to someone else who is successful and then they bring you along. So, I mean, I think so, a lot of times it's about the company you keep. So mm -hmm. a, little, a little of their magic dust can, you know, rub off on you. So that's, that's what I have. Um, I also just feel like, um, we, we, we just need to put ourselves out there and also be patient. So be consistent, be patient and um, give it a chance. Give it a chance to click. There you go. Yeah, there you go. that's what I got. Give it a chance. Give it a chance. I love it. I love it. I love it. Speaking of giving a chance. Uh-oh. <laughs> You know, when you when you come in as a doula and you want to get your contact hours, you want to get your continuing ed, you want to get your skills built up here, you know, when you're taking a training that's offering a certificate of, of continuing education, of contact hours, you've paid for this class, you've completed the class in its entirety, you've met all the requirements, you want to make sure that you get your certificate, okay? Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, there's been a, a chronic situation here with spinning babies. <laughs> oh, we name the names. <laughs> okay. They, they're, they're just not giving you the certificate after you've done all of what I just said. And we need to understand how important this is. I mean, you and I are, are, are laughing about this, but this is serious because for black birth workers, your skill enhancement, developing your practice really gives you leverage in this field of work that we're doing. And black families have very demanding births. So when you're taking a training and you've paid, you've done everything you were supposed to do, and then that certificate is slow coming, that's not acceptable. And we have to hold these organizations accountable for that. Yeah. Because that's not advancing Black birth work. It's just not. 
Yeah, and this is a repeat offense, right? So you, you did a whole live video. Oh, did I? <laughs> I feel like it was last year. After it was last year, yes. Okay, after taking a spinning babies course and um, you had to ask for your certificate yep. and then you had to, you didn't get it. Then you had to call them out. Yep. And even after the call out, <laughs> there was this resistance uh, and kind of a denial, except no, none of the people in that entire training had gotten their certificate. What happened after that for you? Well, after that, I, I did receive my certificate. Um, and meanwhile, other people who attended the very same session, the very same course with me did not receive it. And this was hosted at a black obese facility and white doula, excuse me, white nurses never received their certificate. And, you know, it's not a good look. It's not a good look for the brand. It's not a good look for the host who was hosting this. It's just not a good look all the way around for this black trainer, the spinning baby trainer. This was not a good look for spinning babies. And so, you know, we, we, we have to pull back and say, wait a minute, you know, why can't we get our certificate? What, what happened? I I've taken this spinning babies training with a white trainer and a black trainer. The white trainer gave me my certificate. No problem. The black trainer, it was a very hard task to get my certificate of attendance, my contact hours. And and that's just not acceptable. No, it's not. It's And it's disheartening to learn that you did the call out. There was a lot of pushback. That trainer really pushed back on you, called me, called other folk to try to make you look bad. But really all you were asking for was your certificate. Um, you So you got yours, but you know other people in that same cohort did not get theirs. That is correct. I'm like, what is that about? Okay, and so the reason why this is coming up again, y'all, is I saw a Facebook post about a week ago and someone said, hey, I took a spinning babies training. I did not get my certificate. What's going on? <laughs> How do I get it? I, I emailed the trainer. I haven't gotten it. And someone piped up and said, the same thing happened to me. And of course, someone else came and said, I got mine right away. And it's like, well, yeah, that's not very helpful. Like here, these are people who are having challenges maybe offer a recommendation or a suggestion for how they can get their certificate. But it seems to be a recurring challenge with this particular organization. Yeah, it really is. And I wish Gail would do do better um, with that because it is a noted brand and doulas are taking the training all the time and she's growing her, her brand. Um, she's got new offerings coming in. And, you know, with these new offerings, it's like, well, can we make sure that the existing ones are doing what they need to be doing? Because it's a Black birth worker who's going into Medicaid and going to other entities of birth work and lines of business with insurance companies and these, you know, insurance companies and carrot and all kinds of stuff asking for all kinds of, you know, verification. Why can't I get my certificate? Yeah. And we talked about this on a prior episode about having a challenge with a national organization, another one trying to get um, our certificate to document that we have been doing continuing education. And I sort of feel like this, if you offer it, then do it, right? We shouldn't have to chase you down. We shouldn't have to question. It's probably one of the reasons why we are choosing you over someone else, because some of us are looking to credential and we do have to use um, continuing education units or contact hours or whatever to keep our credentials. So I feel like you just got to respect 
the, 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 the credentialing part of it. Like if you're going to offer it, if you advertise that you give a certificate, then please y'all, please give yeah. a certificate. Don't it, just jump through hoops, you know? <laughs> you got to give it up. What's that song? Got to give, give it up. up. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> give it up. Come on, give it up. Now I, I do it, you know, for Black Women Do VBAC. I provide an eight hour training a eight hour contact hour here. I give out the certificates within a reasonable amount of time. You know, there's about maybe a 10 or 14 day at the most turnaround for people to get their certificates. Yeah. You know, cause I'm teaching, you know, you know, uh, 15, 20 people at a time. So that's a lot of people, but you know, it, it's, it's, it's within a reasonable amount of time. These people participated, did everything in compliance. They paid for their training. Why, why, why are we withholding this information? It's just not acceptable. Yeah. So if you're taking a training, lead with, make sure if they promoting a certificate, make sure you get your certificate, y'all. I think it matters. Yeah. Same thing with the conferences. You know, if you, if you're having a conference, uh, black and brown doulas, if you're looking to go to conferences starting in 2024, let's raise the bar, you know, let's have these conferences offer contact hours. Yeah. Okay. Because Medicaid, all these, the things are coming down the pipe where we're, we're starting to have to quantify what we do. Yeah. So yeah. this is very important. Exactly. So um, I'm, we, I want to talk a little bit about the trends, what we're seeing in the media, what's popping up for us as um, pop culture. And unfortunately, one of the things that I saw and it just grabbed me was the CDC release that the infant mortality rate has risen for the first time in 20 years. Oh, boy. When I saw that, like I almost sent it to you, like I was going to share it with you right away. And then I was like, no, I forget what you had going on that morning. I was like, no, I'm not going to send it to her today <laughs> because you had a bunch of stuff going on, but I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. And, but here's the thing. I don't think any of us who've been in this work. So I've been in 22 years. You've been in how, 10? 10, 10. Yeah. Yeah. So even in that time frame, that's not a big chunk of time to like, we felt that already. Right. We felt the rise. We didn't need the research to tell us because over the years, doing birth work has been harder and harder and harder. People are sicker, sicker, sicker going into their labors. I, I honestly have never seen a year like 2023 between me and then the people I've heard from. How many folk, I would say 90% are going into labor because of a pre, uh, preeclampsia diagnosis. Right. High blood pressure, gestational diabetes. I mean, or or right after the birth, the the eclampsia kicks in. So I'm like, what is going on with our bodies? I don't know what's going on, y'all, but it's really scary. Um, the fact that we're th like the level to which we are losing moms and babies, and just surviving birth as well. Like we have the near misses, and all of this made me look up you know, the maternity care deserts, because we're seeing, um, Denise, did you say that you were seeing um, a rise in some challenges like in Alabama and in Tennessee around the birth, birth space? Oh, yeah. Yeah. These, these, these states are literally losing their L and D departments in hospitals. These states are, especially in Alabama, Alabama simply said, we're closing the L and D departments in three hospitals because we're not making money. So we're closing them, closing them. 
not not combining not consolidating them, not, not, combining. not right but we're simply shutting them down so not only does this impact the families but now those workers are displaced they've got to be placed somewhere else yeah. um and and you know what where where does the theme then go of what if what if what if when some of these families are late you know gestational transfers where are they going I don't know where they're going, but I that, like I said, that made me look up the maternity deserts, um, the, what's going on. So I went to the March of Dimes to their website. And um, so the definition, we're talking about areas where there is low or no access to L&D support. Mm -hmm. it's, it impacts, according to the report, 6.9 million birthing folk. That's and almost half, half a million births. Gosh. That's a, so... In maternity deserts alone, approximately 2.2 million women of childbearing age and almost 150,000 babies are impacted. There you go. There are increases in almost every county for maternity care deserts. So all around this country, it's what's happening in Alabama, but we're seeing it like in a concentrated time frame in a concentrated area, it's happening all over. It's happening all over. And these hospitals want to tell you out of one side of their mouths, oh, we're a non-for-profit. But at the other side of their mouth, oh, we're not making any money. So we're going to have to close. Yeah. It makes no sense to me. Well, and here, not just if you're a non-for-profit, you should be like, it doesn't mean you don't make any money. The problem, the thing is, why aren't you making money? Right. People are having babies. Yes, they you are. You are able, uh, like having baby, you are able to charge insurance companies for having these babies. Yeah. So help me understand why you're not making money. What's going on? Right. Do you need to downsize? Do, but, I mean, but you know, I'm also a proponent of home birth, um, home birth midwives. I'm a proponent of birth centers. Getting out of these hospitals may not be such a bad idea, but closing them suddenly. And that's the thing. Cause you know, here in Atlanta, we had that. They, right. gave, they gave us, it was last year. I think it was like at the end of August, they said as of November 1, the one hospital that was the city, a city hospital that served right down in uh, the heart of Atlanta, it closed down. Suddenly, people who were under their care had no time um, to, they really had almost no time to scramble to get um, other alternative care providers. They were in shock. You can imagine the stress that they were under. So same things happen in Alabama, sudden closures, uh, workers are scrambling to figure out where to go to work, to, you know, and people are trying to figure out where am I going to birth my baby? Which contributes to the stress, which contributes to having a complex pregnancy and birth. Yeah. So these people are driving an hour, hour and a half. They're doing late transfers in their pregnancy. Practices can't absorb them. So what are they no. left to do? You know, you know, so many families were left to just free birth. You, you and I know. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. They were left literally on their own. They were and yeah, they and couldn't the, navigate it. Yeah. And the closure here in Atlanta, th that hospital was the back was the transfer hospital for the only birth center in the city of Atlanta. Oh my gosh. The only birth center in the city of Atlanta and that hospital. So they had to find backup and thankfully they found it at Grady, but Grady has a very loaded reputation if you have a, a gunshot you want to go to grady they're they're there for the traumas right if, right if you have an insulin issue you might die <laughs> i mean wow. like those low level simple things is like mm, 
but high level trauma stuff, but where does birth fall in that? Right. Right. So there's a lot of fear around being, having, you know, if you're with the birth center being transferred to Grady, right. Um, It's really tough because they're having to overcome the image and the reputation and that, and they're staffed by um, Morehouse doctors, (laughs) Um, you know, so the, the reputation is not merited in the area of L and D, but, um, nevertheless, if people think that where they're going is not safe or it's not the best and it's not what they originally chose, right? They are experiencing lots of stress. They are experiencing a lot of disappointment and fear around birthing their babies. Yes. And it has a domino effect. Like here in New York, many years ago now, it's been it's been close to almost a decade, if not a little under that. Beth Israel Hospital had an L&D department and they closed. Mm-hmm. So all the other hospitals here in the metropolitan area, even Manhattan, had to pick up this this hospital's closing their L&D department. So the, the overflow went to all the other hospitals here in Manhattan. And so, you know, there was a there was a huge push for NYU, for Will Cornell, for Metropolitan, for Mount Sinai East, for Columbia Presbyterian. All these hospitals had to pick up the overflow from Beth Israel. And what ended up, even to this day, it's still dominoing. The domino effect is not over because these providers are now in these huge, huge collaborative offices, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, 20, 20 OBs in one practice. And that's that's not even including the maternal fetal medicine partitionists. So you, you, the, your client cannot see all of these doctors in their pregnancy. So the relationship building is totally out of the window. As a matter of fact, Columbia Presbyterian Uptown, they have two practices. They have the prenatal practice in the office. And then when you go into labor, you're going to see a totally different practice that you've never met that's only in the hospital catching the babies. Wow. So how does that family feel as far as their advocacy, as far as their communication, as far as that relationship building when you have this set up this way? It's 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 really a no win for the families and it is not family center care. No, it's not. And that's where having doulas, you are the continuity. You yeah. are the connection. Yeah. yeah. You're going to be the familiar face from the pregnancy that bridges from the pregnancy to the birth. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So here in New York, it's really a, a, a kind of a three card Monty because you're working with this one, this OB in the office. You really pick them. You like them. There's a chance you're not going to see them when your baby is coming. Wow. There's a very high chance you are not going to see this practitioner unless you are with a very small practice. And those are a few to come by now because they're just all getting absorbed up by, you know, these larger practices. Now, I feel like, okay, if we were just talking about marketing for doulas, I feel like let's toggle back to that because if you are in this market, so if you're in the New York area, New York City area, hearing this, you can decide to go two ways. So you're trying to figure out how to get out there and get connected with families. These There's a pain point that Denise is identifying for these families that they don't have continuity. They already know, or they're learn, They're going to learn during their pregnancy that they're going to see one team during their pregnancy and they're going to see total strangers for their birth. So their pain point is familiarity and consistency. You, by inserting yourself into that relationship, one of the ways that you can market yourself and you can target families from that are birthing in these in these hospitals or who are birthing with this doctor's practice, right? One of your key things is continuity and consistency. I will be the familiar face. 
hire me because I can be the continuity that I know you need. I know you have that fear, that uncertainty, that anxiety, and I can help bridge the gap. That's a really beautiful way of being useful. That is what we do anyway. So you're not, you know, you're not lying, but think about like putting yourself in the place where people actually have the need. That I would recommend if you're trying to figure out how to get clients, identify their pain points, communicate that in your marketing and all your promotions, but maybe you just actually target the families who are actually birthing with these doctor's practices, if you can identify those folks. There you go. There you go. Yeah. It's and all then, about the strategy. It's all about knowing the playing field and building a strategy. Yeah. Yeah. You're not there for everybody, right? You really right. have to hone in and like niche down and like identify where can you be most effective? You also, on the flip side, you might be able to identify those if you're like, I couldn't possibly doula families who like have these practitioners who are total strangers. Then you can go with the other alternative. So Denise described that there are some practitioners who will make sure that they're at your birth, like they're smaller practices and they they set themselves apart by saying, we will be there, you will know us. Then if that appeals to you, then hone in on those doctor practices mm-hmm. and try to become, get on their provider list and help. So what's in it for that doctor to put you on their list or that practice is you help them have that continuity that they're saying makes them stand out in the crowd. So you're enhancing the very thing that they're working to um, provide to their patients is consistency and continuity. So you see there's a win-win, but just honing in on the medical practices, identifying the pain points or the, the attractive parts of why they chose their provider, you can add to that. You can enhance that by just identifying um, what's most appealing. So you got to be very specific in your marketing, but here, this, there's a problem and doulas really are in a lot of ways, you can be the solution in this space. Absolutely, because doulas know exactly what's going on in the community. We are the eyes and ears. We see a lot, we know a lot. We know where the bones are buried. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do, don't we? <laughs> yes, we do, absolutely. So Revee, come on, Um, you know, what good birth worker news do you have? Heard anything good? Tell me something good. Um, okay, I'll tell you. I, I want to um, highlight uh, a program. It's in Pennsylvania. It's called the PRISM program, which I love the name because, you know, if you look at a PRISM, you know, the way the light hits, it's like a kaleidoscope, you know, all the beautiful colors. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, it is actually the name of a prison, prison doula program. So that's a little bit of a tongue twister, mm-hmm. but it's a model program for those who are looking um, to create or provide uh, doula services in a prison population, okay? And so the leader, the designer, the founder of the PRISM program is Jaria Coffey. She is located in the state of Pennsylvania. She's done a bunch of amazing things in leadership to get like doula commission and to organize doulas, to get Medicaid reimbursement and all of that. She's doing some amazing stuff. Look her up, Jaria, G-E-R-R-I-A, last name Coffee. She's going to kill me, by the way. (laughs) She's a person who is modest and she's quietly doing the work, doing it well, and is not looking for the spotlight at all. But sometimes we just got a spotlight good people, like people doing really remarkable work. And yes. I, 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 I love this program because it's doing 
Um, it's doing the work in the, in the hidden spaces. Um, it's, you know, creating a net for folk who are already in the underbelly of our society, which really, really sucks. And, you know, um, so I appreciate the PRISM program. I appreciate um, it being a model for how to do good work for helping women, um, for birthing people to figure out how to have these babies, have these babies outside of the prison um, and be placed in the community and how to um, do the bounce back or the reconnect. So that's yet to be seen. It's a fairly new program. And so you should just follow it on social media. I don't have all her handles, but I'll, I'll put it in the show notes so that you can follow what's going on. But for those who are really interested in prison doula work, there's a couple of things, you know, this is a part of my work as a public defender. Um, I acutely, I'm acutely aware of how the broken the criminal justice system is. Um, and I, I feel like there's, there's been, um, there's a couple of points I like to make whenever we talk about prison doula work. I always ask the question, and so I'm going to ask it here. Why do we have so many birthing folk in prison? Mm -hmm. Prison is a place where you go when you get a sentence of more than one year. Most of us only have just ate a baby for 10 months. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there is, yes, uh, I understand there is a delay sometimes in getting arrested and your trial and then getting um, sentenced and then getting committed to prison. And in that time frame, you can get pregnant. So there is a population of people who are going into prison pregnant. Let me tell you, that's the smaller part of the population. A lot of folk are getting pregnant while they're in prison. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And let me tell you, adults who are incarcerated, they have a number on their sleeve. They are inmates. They are not allowed to consent to sex. That's right. It is sexual assault. It is rape. They call it something else, right? At this very moment, I'm the, the word is, is escaping me, but I will put it in the show notes. Jaria and I have talked about this. We have talked about this concept um, of autonomy, body, bodily autonomy in a prison system. Prison is a totally different system. It is a different society. It's a subculture. And there are things, yeah, you don't own yourself. You can't just decide where your body goes and what your body does. If they tell you your body needs to eat food right now, then that's what your body has to do. That's right. You got to go eat. If they tell you your body needs to be in the showers right now, well, that's where your body needs to be. You don't have options. Yeah. And yeah. so that does not stop when it's like, oh, to sex. There is a lot of coercive sex happening, a lot of bartering and selling and negotiating of bodies and sex power and all of that in the prison system. And so unfortunately, we have an example. Here goes Alabama again where the federal government had to come to the, the governor of the state of Alabama and tell her, if you don't figure out how to stop having all these babies in prison, because there was that much uh, rape happening in their prisons, there were so many babies being born that they had to be, the federal government threatened Alabama that if you don't get a handle on these numbers, we're going to cut off your federal funding. That's crazy. That's Wait. how much sex and conception was happening in their prisons. Oh my God. Oh my God. It was recognized by the federal government. So many babies were being conceived 
and had and so that's why they had to have a prison doula program. And we know uh, some wonderful doulas who are working in parts of Alabama in the prison um, program, prison doula program. So whenever I see the like the proliferation of these programs, I'm always like, okay, yeah, right? Because I've done birth with clients in in jail cell in prisons, right? Or they were in jail, um, they were jail inmates, but they were in a hospital. And that's horrible, right? It's really a rough situation. So I understand that dynamic. And then at the same time, when I hear about these prison doula programs, I'm like, but why do we need so many? Right. I, I, I hate that I know that there is trauma, coercion, and and rape happening behind these babies, the birth of these babies. So I want to put that out there just to kind of add so that while we're thinking about doing this work, the PRISM program is identifying a, a, like a great model on how to do it. Um, but the why, why do we, why, why the need exists really sucks. And I think we need to be addressing that in our culture. Yep. Um, so I wanna also highlight connected to this topic that there was recently a Good Morning America story um, about a prison guard um, she was, I think, I feel like it was in Mississippi. It wasn't in Alabama, I don't think. But she was a Black um, prison guard who had been working with an inmate. And the inmate said, well, when I have my baby, I want you to take my baby. She didn't have anybody on the outside who she trusted, felt comfortable with having her baby. And the prison guard said, oh, yeah, I'll take your baby. She was already raising five of her eight grandchildren. Mm. Um, and so something's going on there. But she was obviously a very generous, a very generous woman. And so she said to the inmate, yeah. And so when the time came, because it's always mysterious when people have their babies, you can never know um, when you're in the prison system. Um, but while she was waiting for the, uh, for the woman to go, in, you know, to go into labor, she was confronted by her supervisor who said, I heard you said that if so-and-so um, wants you to have the baby, that you're going to take the baby. And she said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take that baby. I sure am. And her boss said, well, you know, that's a conflict of interest for your job. And, and it is. Um, and he said, well, if you take the baby, if you, if that's what you're going to do, then I'm going to have to fire you. And she said, mm. okay. <laughs> okay. Mm. And he terminated her. Wow. And <laughs> yeah, big wow. Um, he terminated her. And at this point, y'all, the wow for me was the woman hadn't even had the baby yet. So the very thing she was terminated for hadn't even happened. Oh, boy. So she got terminated. She was out of work for a week, like a week and a half. And then the woman had the baby and she did designate the baby to go to this, to the inmate, to the prison guard. Hmm. I can't remember her name. I can't miss some, I can't remember her name. I'm sorry, y'all. But um so at least she did get the baby, <laughs> you know, so her, the termination wasn't in vain. Howsoever, she, um, she got the baby and her community, you know, local community found out about it. It was on the news and people donated money to help her raise this baby. Mm -hmm. So she got $90,000 in donations. Nice. Nice. Uh, she had diapers and all these things. She was like, I don't know how I was going to do it. So the community really rallied around her and her generosity because yeah. of like the crassness of this prison policy. Right. So here we see where reform needs to happen, but it's, it's a conflict of interest to have sex with an inmate 
it's a conflict of interest to take an inmate's baby, <laughs> take, uh, apparently to take care of them in the community. There are all these rules in this subculture that cross into our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there needs to be some examination of those policies and, um, and uh, some reforms. So at any rate, the mother did get out of prison and she got her baby back. Um, and as a result, well, and now actually, unfortunately, the baby is actually in foster care. So the mother was struggling, even though she re- she regained um, her baby, she did lose the baby again. So, you know, I had questions because I'm like, why didn't you get a baby back to Miss, you know, I can't remember her name, y'all, I'm sorry. But why didn't yeah. you get back to the grandmother, right? She was clearly like, when y'all see the video and I'll link it in the show notes, she loves this baby. I mean, she had this baby from day one. Um, day one yeah instead she, the baby's in the foster care system because that's how the policy goes mm-hmm. another place for potential reform however she did use some of the money to create she's building um a home called it's being renovated you'll see in the clip called serenity house and it will house up to six um birthing folks who are coming out of prison having their babies and need a transitional space to start motherhood there you go such a blessing that came out of that but um, I think it just it really does indicate all these policy changes ways that we need to look at what we're doing when folks are going into the system and pregnant and then coming out how they're birthing while they're incarcerated how are they able to keep their babies breastfeed their babies designate their babies to family members what if you don't have a um, family member like this particular inmate Um, are there members in the community or in the fostering community who can um, give special care to folks coming out of prison and be a bridge while the parents are trying to get themselves together. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, lots of things. I feel like this story highlighted for me that while we have doulas going into the prison and helping inmates have babies, it really highlighted for me how we need birth worker support for the folks in the community who are taking care of the babies. Absolutely. And so maybe some of you all, if you're writing for grants and you're thinking about, you know, centering your work around prison work, think about the community that these babies are going into and the care providers and maybe finding a way that in your your programming um, or the way that you set up your business that you wrap your arms around those caregivers who are taking care of those little ones and also finding ways to help the, their parents get stable so that they can um, resume their parenting responsibilities. Yeah, there's a whole world out here for uh, prison and parenting and babies. And it's just, there's this constant need in every single state for housing, for services, for support, all of these things that are just not happening. And New York, believe it or not, we have a huge situation here. Um, And, you know, we had a situation long ago when I lived uh, upstate there, uh, my son was in karate school with this other kid and the kid's dad was a corrections officer and he was a really attractive man. Wow. I mean, noticeably attractive, good looking black dude. And he was a corrections officer. And lo and behold, um, a scandal came out because uh, he got fired from his job at the local uh, women's facility because he got several women pregnant and wow. they did a DNA test on these babies once they were born and they were his. They were his. So he got he got prosecuted and uh, he got put on a sex offender list and his marriage broke up. His family broke up. He lost his job. He lost his retirement. 
he lost everything because of his behavior. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's predatory. These women are locked up. How are they going to say no to you when you have the keys to the kingdom? Literally the keys to the kingdom. So it's just, it's just really amazing with that. And what's also amazing is from my understanding is there's a lot of women correction officers who turn the blind eye. So yeah, it, indeed. It's a culture. It's a very, it's a very deep culture being in the correction facilities. Yeah, it's it's totally deep. So I I don't know if there's anyone. Um, and so feel free to email us, uh, reach out to us on social media if you know the answer to this question. But you know, are there workshops, birth worker trainings to prepare you to become a prison support or like a doula who supports folks in prison or around this subculture, because you got to get your mind right. A hundred percent. Oh yeah. And they have them here in New York. We have a prison doula program here in New York, but I just feel that it's not really preparing doulas when they go into these facilities. If there's a lockdown, what's the behavior code? What do you do? There's a whole different mentality of walking through a door that slams shut behind you and you cannot go back and open it. Girl, and you know, I know, having done that, yes, done you know. jail work, all oh, like, oh, it's when that those heavy doors close and lock. It is, um, it's like you're. It's a different mindset that you have to go into. And so, um, yeah, if anybody would love to come on and talk a little bit more, maybe we'll invite some guests as we um, move through our podcast, through our seasons of podcasts. But would love to talk more about this. I feel like this is a whole culture. Um, Cult, like a shift that we need to make in the culture that people don't really dissect. We right. don't dive, dive into it. Um, birth isn't always joyous. Even when there's some happy, there can also be mixed with a lot of sadness and challenge. Very true. Very true. And just recently, just a few years ago, New York abolished the rule of having incarcerated women give birth shackled to the bed. Oh. Yeah. 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 It's like, where are they going? I mean, <laughs> who's making these rules? Cause anybody who's had a baby, they, they wouldn't even dream of thinking somebody's going to try to run away while they're having these babies. Cause yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. So yeah, there's a lot of work around that, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a huge culture and, you know, kudos to the doulas who are doing it. I actually have a couple of uh, books and materials that I found on it. Um, but, um, it's, it's definitely not for me. I know that that's not, that that, that's not the work that I'm capable of doing. Oh yeah. Me neither. You know, I left the jail system, the criminal, I left, I'm definitely not see birth for me was the beautiful thing. It was the place where I could go to retreat after having the criminal justice system trauma. So yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not going to take the thing that was, is, so life-saving for me and, and beautiful for me. I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going in to take it in the place where I also had trauma, not doing it. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. So for those doulas who are doing the work, big, big kudos to them um, because it is just an amazing thing. Um, yeah. But oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. God bless you. I'm glad. I'm I'm so grateful for those who we know. And again, like I said, we should bring them on. I'm so grateful for those who are doing the work. We, you absolutely are needed. Um, but uh, like, it does make me say like, how can I be supportive of those who are in the community doing the absorption, right? 
um, it does put something on my mind. So I'm glad that I got to see that Good Morning America story. I'm yeah. grateful. I'm grateful to be able to highlight Jaria Coffee in her Prism program because it's work I know I can't do, um, but I, I can do the work on the outside. So I probably just need to find a match who here in Georgia who's doing it on the inside and work on doing the work on the outside. So, but congratulations to you, Jaria, to the prison program and to those who are doing this work. Y'all are really angels on earth. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause it is still work that is so needed. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I think, I think that's the episode. I think that's what we did and um, we'll be back y'all. Thank you all for following us, for taking us on. And we're hopefully we're adding to, to your day, to your work. Hopefully we're um, adding value. So we look forward to, to seeing y'all on the next episode. All right. Take Make care. Sure you doula that. Doula that. <laughs>